0: Physics world. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. Over the past decade or so, quantum mechanics has enjoyed a renaissance, with rapid developments in fields like quantum computing and quantum sensing catching the attention of both scientists and the tech industry. Businesses ranging from giants like IBM to tiny university startups are now creating new quantum technologies, and governments around the world are developing national quantum strategies. Many in the quantum science and technology community believe that strong coordination between academia, industry, and governments is essential for future success. And that's the topic of today's podcast, which features an expert in the field of high-tech R&D, who specializes on the burgeoning quantum industry. (music) Celia Mertzbacher is the Executive Director of the Quantum Economic Development Consortium, or QEDC, which is run by SRI International. QEDC is an international organization that identifies gaps in quantum-related technologies, standards, and workforces, and addresses those gaps through collaboration between industry and governments. She joins me down the line from Washington, DC. Hello, Celia. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, Hamish, it's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: So, Celia, you recently testified at a U.S. Congress committee meeting on advancing American leadership in quantum technology. Why is it important for the U.S. and other countries to have a national quantum strategy?
1: Well, first of all, a strategy is important when you have a vision and a large set of stakeholders who need to be coordinated and QIST, or Quantum Information Science and Technology, is um, one of several critical and emerging technologies which the United States and others have viewed as essential in which to be a leader in today's world. So QAST is important for national security reasons, but it's equally, if not more important, from an economic and societal perspective. So there's a big vision about what this technology can do. However, the field is still at a very early stage, and it requires advances in fundamental science and research, which is largely a kind of activity that's supported by government. And progress, especially at the basic research level, will really be accelerated ultimately by a clear strategy with goals and objectives. And finally, QIST is what I call a multi-type of activity. It's multidisciplinary. It's multi-agency or department within government. It's multi-sector, not just government, but academia and industry and others are going to be important to success. It's multi-purpose. We've got quantum for sensing and communication and computing, and it's multinational. So it really touches on the interests of many parts of government and society and other sectors. And so it's, it's really important to have a strategy in order to go forward uh, as quickly as possible.
0: And Celia, in your testimony, you point out that other countries such as the UK, Canada, India, China, um, as well as the EU also have quantum strategies. Have these countries and the U.S. all taking similar approaches to nurturing quantum technologies and businesses, or are they, are they taking different paths?
1: I would say at the higher levels, the short answer is similar. Um, if you read those strategies, and they're generally public documents, they include an emphasis on the need for research and development Um, but also the importance of transitioning the results of the research into the commercial sector for ultimate application and use. And then everyone uh, recognizes the shortage of skilled workers as well. So I would say these are sort of the key pillars of uh, all the strategies. And many, lately especially, have emphasized a goal to identify near-term applications. I think that's reflecting the um Understanding that there is large potential, but also that the applications um are still mostly in the future, and so everyone's interested in finding the nearer term applications as well as looking to the longer term future
0: and how would you characterize the the United States current global status in quantum science and technology um is it Is it the leader at the moment and and is that position secure? Well, there are a lot
1: of ways of measuring status. Um, one is by input. And so the there are some reports that collect information about the various investments by different countries and regions. And it all adds up to something um, in, a, in excess of $30 billion. Um, the U.S. spends about 900 or spent in 2022 about $900 million dollars. And it seems to be growing year by year, roughly. Um, And and the investments elsewhere around the world also are are increasing. The other way to measure um, status is to look at the output of the investment. And there was a recent report, a study that was done by an Australian policy institute that um, did a very careful analysis of scientific publications and highly cited or high impact publications in particular, and showed in different areas, uh, leadership by different countries and different institutions within those countries. Um, so that that's another way of measuring status. status. And the US and China um, appear to have perhaps the most output by that measure.
0: And, and Celia, uh- Quantum sensors uh, are already being developed for military applications, and quantum cryptography and quantum computers have clear implications for national security. How should the U.S. balance its national interests against the need for international scientific collaboration and international supply chains? Well, There's broad
1: understanding that in the scientific research space, it's really important to have open uh, sharing of information and opportunities to collaborate. I think it's worth noting that quantum information science and technology is this multidisciplinary field and it is global. And so there are centers of excellence spread across the world, and researchers naturally seek out other experts and leaders in their area to uh, share information with and to collaborate with. That happens at scientific conferences and through sharing information through the literature and so on. That's, that's all going to be beneficial uh, to the long-term uh, realization of the potential of the technology. Quantum-based technologies for certain applications that are more related to military uses, for instance, um, may require more restrictions and protection, and that's understandable. National interests will play a role in determining that. In fact, many uses of technologies, whether it's quantum or others, are already restricted, and so it may not even require new restrictions if the application is, is suitably sensitive from a national perspective um, there is discussion going on about the need for possibly controlling the flow of technology and information related to certain applications um, from a natural national interest side. Um, but I think it needs to be done very carefully. Um, and because of the global nature of innovation, it would need to be done in partnership among the like-minded countries and um, take into consideration the importance of the flow of people and not limiting that, for instance. So at this stage, it's not really clear exactly which technologies are going to be in these sensitive applications. And it would be somewhat premature to be overly restrictive and try to find some way to sort of um, choke or, or restrict access by some, even when you don't have the knowledge today of what the actual uh, sort of sensitive technologies are.
0: And in your testimony um, to Congress, you say that businesses are making big bets on quantum technology, but you also point out that venture capital investment has slowed down somewhat recently. Is there a danger of a bubble growing and and then bursting? How, How can you ensure that hype doesn't damage the reputation of the quantum industry?
1: This is a really important question that is raised often. And um, there certainly is a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about the potential for quantum technology. And that's getting a lot of attention, which is um, bringing in the investors and so on. Um, I don't really see evidence of a bubble. There's a steep increase in interest and investment. um, But those uh firms that are in the space in general for the most part are reporting steady progress. They're working along their roadmaps. There's a lot of very hard engineering uh, and technology to be developed and problems to be overcome, and that's I think recognized and also acknowledged. And so hopefully, despite the sort of flashy headlines that sometimes appear. When you read the article and you talk to the people who are in the business, they are pretty clear. And organizations like mine, QEDC, um, have a role to play in sharing credible and data and evidence-based information so that all of the different policymakers and investors, both public and private, have an appreciation for the state of art and where we're heading.
0: And uh, one one important issue at the moment is uh, the, the shortage of skilled workers, which I think is a problem for the quantum industry worldwide. What skills are needed, and what can the U.S. do to improve training?
1: So you're absolutely right that there's a broad range of skills that are needed, and Different types of companies, of course, will need different skill sets. A hardware company versus a software company, versus an end user, perhaps in the pharmaceutical space, for instance. So, um, and then within a company, you need everything from the technology product developers to technical sales people and uh, and others. So, again, a very diverse set of skills will be required. And we did a study that was published in a journal showing that range, the range of the types of jobs that companies are going to be filling. And for those different types of jobs, the range of knowledge and skills and the range of level of degree that would be preferred. And it goes all the way from a technician with perhaps just a a year or two of training and some hands-on experience to undergraduate or graduate or postgraduate education. And so I think there's a misconception that you have to have a PhD and preferably in physics in order to enter this field. And that's absolutely not the case. The the companies that are trying to actually make things are quite desperate for engineers and especially engineers with some experience, maybe in a related field, so um, mid-career professionals also could, with just a little bit of um, additional exposure and, and getting a level of familiarity with quantum, pivot into a, a career in the quantum industry. So we do have a skills and a worker gap right now, a shortage, but there are ways by starting to fill the pipeline and also to give training opportunities to existing workers to help bridge that gap.
0: Given that it's not clear which current quantum computing technologies, if any, will prove to be commercially viable, how should industry and governments approach research and development?
1: Well, on the government side, the focus is generally at the pre-competitive stage and the basic fundamental uh, research area. This is a field that's been a subject of research for a long time, of course, but with the advent of the ability to really engineer materials at the scale of atoms and to design um, for purpose, the materials to do what you want. It really, that combination of the understanding of the theory and the ability to control and manipulate and measure things has led to this opportunity. So there remains a need to advance both on the theory side and the experiment side through government investments in the basic science. On the industry side, companies need to work very hard and to make progress as quickly as possible towards revenue and business. And so they have to take that understanding and apply it. And they often have to do that without perhaps 100% knowledge. They have um, identified an opportunity. They have the pieces. There's a sense that the problems that exist can be uh, addressed. And so industry um, will need to be focused in order to realize the the areas of application. And I think another part of the industry that we want to continue to uh, strengthen our engagement with are the ultimate customers, because at the end of the day, we're envisioning a set of capabilities that will be very disruptive, potentially. And so... All kinds of companies should be thinking now about what they could do if they had access to technologies with the kinds of capabilities that we envision coming in the future. And even though that future may be some time off, because it's so different in the way that it enables addressing problems and thinking about your business It is really a good idea to start that process now and to start bringing, building a team, perhaps a small team within the organization to think strategically. There will be more what I call quantum takers eventually than quantum makers. And so we want to include and grow the community toward the uh, customers as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you say that because I was at a, a, a A sort of quantum industry conference uh, last month in London. And that, that was very much the message that I came away with. Um, you know, it was people within organizations who have been tasked, you know, with a, with a very small team to investigate how quantum technologies could benefit their company. So, you know, I saw some really fascinating talks from two people who worked in the insurance industry. And, uh, and they talked about all the sort of implications for quantum technology uh, for insurers you know some of which I'd never <laughs> I never really thought about so um, yeah it's it, it is interesting how uh, how you know, I suppose broader industry and, and government are responding in that way
1: well that is an example the insurance business um, and and finance in general um, where it's really a very technology intensive kind of business and analyzing large amounts of data and trying to you know, tease out useful information that isn't biased and so on. And so this is really um, the domain of artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and so on. But um, these are areas where quantum technology and quantum computing in particular are is going to Really, be able to potentially kind of raise the capability even further, um, and and so that's a nice example of of such a business disruption or impact.
0: Mm. And 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 Celia, QEDC was founded as a U.S. organization, but it's since opened uh, its membership to uh, to 36 other countries, I think, like-minded countries is um, is how you, you describe it. I should say uh, organizations in, in 36 um, other like-minded countries. Why is it important for QEDC to be international?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, quantum information science and technology advances and l- leaders in thought and innovation are across the globe. And um, certainly the U.S. does not have the sole leadership position or an enormous head start or advantage at this time. Um, And so it was recognized from the beginning, in partnership with our government sponsor who helped us to get started, that it would be important to expand to include international organizations and from the point of view of the members of QEDC they're all looking at the world as a big global market and so they see you know potential customers and collaborators and even perhaps investors in other parts of the world and so removing the barriers and what i call the friction to enabling that because at the end of the day what i get up every day trying to do is to help my members to succeed. And so it was very important. And we were uh, about a year and a half ago able to start expanding the membership to include these parts of the community that are outside the U.S.
0: Well, that's great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Celia, for coming on the podcast and talking about QEDC and all the challenges that face um, people in quantum science and technology.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: The paper on the quantum workforce that Celia mentioned is called Assessing the Needs of the Quantum Industry, and it's published in the journal IEEE Explore, where it can be read free of charge. A link to that paper is also on the QEDC website, where you'll find all of the organization's reports. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Celia Mertzbacher for joining me today, and a special thanks to our producer Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week when the quantum theme continues as I chat with the managing director of an award-winning UK-based company that has developed a quantum sensor for doing brain scans. And I'm also joined by the chief investment officer of Quantum Exponential, which invests in quantum technology companies. In the meantime, check out the latest episode of the Physics World Stories podcast, which looks at some of the new technologies that could soon be used to create ever more powerful computers. Host Andrew Glester is joined by three experts who look at how new paradigms such as optical and quantum-based computing could play key roles in the future of how we do calculations. That podcast is called Moore's Law in Peril and the Future of Computing. And you can find it and all episodes of the Stories podcast on the Physics World website and at your favorite podcast provider. Physics World.